What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast, though it has a new name. Welcome to the Utilization Report Debrief. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane. And Dwayne, we have made it through the long, dark night of the offseason. It's week one. I know we're always excited about doing this show, but we got to be extra excited, right? Because now we have actual football coming up this week. Football that counts, I guess I should say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we do the best we can. You know, we've been reading the tea leaves, if you will. Um, we're monitoring all the team's moves, like, because we know they, they do tell us, like, what their intent is by who they draft, who they sign as free agents. And then we get to the preseason, we get to training camp, and we're listening. Okay, like, what are the beat reporters telling us? What's the preseason utilization telling us? But ultimately, week one is really, like, where the rubber meets the road. That's when we're going to figure out what has been, you know, a, a good signal and leading us maybe towards some good decisions in our fantasy drafts. And then maybe what things uh, were a little bit misleading. We get a big surprise on week one. So week one, like utilization wise, is always, you know, it's the biggest reveal. But it's also a situation where we've got to be ready to move quickly. So I'm definitely ready for it. Um, we'll be helping people through it. You know, what are the things that we need to be thinking about? And what are who are the players you need to move on quickly? Obviously, there are a lot of situations that are still pretty ambiguous where we've gotten hardly any signal at all. And we'll talk about some of those today. Yeah, we've got a handful of situations that we're still not sure about. We'll try to make some sense of them as best we can. But let's start with a little piece of news. Uh, the biggest news regarding Cooper Cup, that right now he is in Minnesota seeing a specialist. as He had a setback with that hamstring injury uh, that kept him off the field for pretty much all of training camp and the preseason. I, I mean, I was sort of hoping that this was them being cautious, and I think it is, Dwayne, but this looks like it's turning out to be more of a situation than we originally anticipated. So, obviously, there's a high ceiling with Cooper Cup, but he comes with risk. How are you sort of approaching this situation right now? Yeah, I don't know if, if anyone has any drafts left. Like, um, I'm probably still going to do another main event this next weekend, but this last weekend, um, I did a lot of main event drafts. So, you're talking, you know, $1,500-plus drafts. And Cooper Cup was falling to round three. And I was the one taking him, Marcus. <laughs> People kept leaving him in the middle of round three. <laughs> and it's like once I would get to that point where it's like, okay, I could take Debo, right? I could take, you know, Amari Cooper. No, I mean, once I hit that tear break, that was the spot where I was still willing to take Cup. To your point, there is a lot of risk. Um, we've got an older player. He's not healthy to begin the season. We don't know how the team's going to handle it. It sounds like they want to be cautious. You know, on one hand, you think seeing the specialist, the first thing I think people think is it's negative and it pushes Cooper Cup further down the board. But on the positive side, it could mean the team is really trying to take enough precaution now to where they're not going to rush him back. They want to get him the best care they possibly can to try to get him ready. But we don't know for sure. Like the Rams, if they're sitting there 0-2 in week three and Cooper Cup thinks he's 80%, they might try to push him because they don't want their season to be over before it really even begins. So that's where the risk comes in. The team gets behind the eight ball early in the season. They want to try to push him back. Now, the positive is if they can manage, like to just kind of float along a little bit and they can bring him back slow, yes, then it becomes worth it because you could be getting a 20 to 25 point per game player in round three. Um, I will say, Marcus, I felt decent about some of these teams that I drafted um, and I just accounted for taking Cooper Cup, you know, where that I did. So on one of these teams, I got Christian McCaffrey in the first, Mark Andrews in the second. This was a tight end premium format. I came back with Cooper Cup in the third round rather than taking DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, Keenan Allen. But I came back with Amari Cooper, then with Deontay Johnson. Then I grabbed Terry McLaurin, Elijah Moore later. So 
I, I, I made sure that I had plenty of wide receivers, and this team still has McCaffrey, Javante Williams starting at running back. So I, I, I felt like it was something you could offset as long as you get him back in like week five, week six. If he never comes back or he just comes back and re-injures himself, then I probably will wish that I would have taken like a Josh Allen with that pick or taken a Darren Waller. And I think this is where people, you know, obviously we are risk averse when it comes to fantasy, right? We're trying to minimize it as much as possible. But also this is sort of one of those things for me where you have to remember that it is a long season. And and I know we, we always emphasize getting started quickly, you know, getting some wins right out of the gate. But understanding the ceiling, as you mentioned, that Cooper Cup has uh, and sort of being able to try to plan around it, to insulate yourself on your rosters as much as possible and knowing that when he comes back, uh, if he is fully healthy and he looks like Cooper Cup again, you are getting yeah. literally a top 10 fantasy player overall, a top five wide receiver. Uh, so it is sort of like kind of balancing the risk versus One quick the note on that. Uh, with a guy to like your Cup. point. I did take Adam Thielen on all of these teams in round 12. I do think he, Thielen's going to start the season hot based off of what we saw in the preseason. You know, I mean, he was pr the primary target for Bryce Young, like, by far. I don't know that Adam Thielen can stay healthy, but trying to match those two kind of players together, because I also took Quentin Johnson, in, for example, and Elijah Moore. Those are more upside players. But if early in the season, I just need that one extra player to give me a few weeks to help get Cooper Cup back, I think Adam Thielen... That's a good type of name to remember on a roster like that. There it is. Uh, so, yeah, always just try to insulate yourself if you're going to try and draft Cooper Cup uh, over the next few days. Let's get into some of these situations, though, where we came out of the preseason not really knowing as much as we wanted to, or maybe in some cases not knowing much of anything at all. Let's start in New York with the Jets. They have Brees Hall, who's coming back off a knee injury from last season. They signed Dalvin Cook out of free agency. And, Dwayne, the early talk in New York is that these guys are going to be sort of or I should say the team will be judicious in how they use these two guys. Not necessarily a snap count, but sort of playing it cool with both of these guys. Uh, what are your, your early indications about how this split's going to go there? Yeah, I the think Jets? this one is a tough one because we don't have any sort of data point for this one. All we have is what we've heard about training camp. Um, all we have is what we've heard from like the coaching staff, like just sharing some of these tidbits like what we got um, yesterday. Early on, to your point, it really sounded more like they were going to ride Dalvin Cook early in the season and then slowly bring along Brees Hall. But we did see a similar situation to this with Javonta Williams and Samaje Ryan. Week two of the preseason, we saw Javonta get half the work. Like th It wasn't a deal where Pirine, you know, got more. It was actually them splitting it. Now, does it mean the same thing on week one? You might do that when you know you're only going to have your starting offense on the field for, you know, two drives. That equation could change when you know you've got to make it through a whole game. Maybe Javonta Williams only gets 30% of the work in week one, but it was at least encouraging for Javonta because it was like, okay, so there's a potential scenario here where it is 50-50 out of the gate, and that would be ahead of where we expected. So what's interesting is that's kind of what we kind of thought Brees Hall would be the one that would be more likely to be at a 50-50 potential split out of the gate but we don't have any data around that. All we have, again, is what we've heard. So it's, it's a big one. This is a big reveal. But if, if Brees Hall does come out and he's at he is leading the backfield, say he gets 45% of the carries, and then you got Brees Hall getting 35%, and then the rest like to Michael Carter and the quarterbacks, that would be pretty significant because that would mean that maybe by week six, seven, eight, maybe you've got Brees Hall at like 55% of the carries. I do think that Dalvin Cook is good enough, though, Marcus, that we don't see him just 
completely fade away. I think, and the team just knowing that they don't want to overload Brees Hall probably at any point in the season. So I think for Brees Hall to truly uncap like his big upside, it would have to be Dalvin Cook missing time late in the season. You know, I think there's like a slim chance Hall just goes nuclear and forces, you know, where they just can't use Dalvin Cook anymore. But I do think Cook's a good enough player. That's probably going to be challenging. But I, it is a big deal, week one. What we don't want to see, like, what if it's 20% Brees Hall? Like, that that would be something where now you probably yeah. can't even have him in your starting lineup. You took him in round four or five of your draft. So that one's definitely going to be a, a big reveal. Well, and I think when you look at the the course of his ADP over the summer, right, I mean, he was starting in the third round because I think a lot of people believed, as you said, um, that, look, hey, he starts slow. They're going to kind of bring him along slowly, but it's mid to late in the season when we really see Brees Hall pick up. Uh, and then, obviously, they bring in Dalvin Cook, which we, we talked about on this show before, was uh, for a, a starting running back, that was the worst-case scenario of all the free agent running backs out there because, you know, when you looked at uh, at Cook and, and Zeke Elliott and, and Fournette and Kareem Hunt, two of whom are still free agents right now, um, Dalvin Cook was the one that still had the most juice left. So that was the one that sort of, you know, for all of us who loved Brees Hall, that one sort of hurt a little bit, but I think we have also sort of baked in the inherent risk there. Now, you know, again, we're all waiting to see how the Jets use him coming out of the gate, but there's still the, the belief that once we get to the mid to late part of the season that Brees Hall is going to shine through. He's younger. He's just a really, really good football player, and hopefully that starts to kind of, you know, sort of even things out, I guess, in, in, in so to speak, uh, that he starts to get those opportunities late in the season on a team that does have big aspirations uh, to go deep into the playoffs this year. Another running back situation that has really picked up steam the last couple of days, and that is in Detroit, where obviously David Montgomery comes in as a free agent, and we've seen him be a productive player. I mean, he's, you know, he's not spectacular, but he does get the job done. They go out, they draft Jameer Gibbs, and people are really excited about him. And then, Dwayne, over the weekend, you have the offensive coordinator in Detroit, Ben Johnson, talking about we might use Gibbs in some ways that people don't quite think we might, which has been funny to watch on Twitter as people are speculating what does this mean? Does this mean more goal line work? Does this mean that he's you know split out wide as like an X receiver and a potential deep threat? Like we've all been trying to rack our brains to find the ways that they might use Jameer Gibbs. I sort of jokingly mentioned they use him as a blocking <laughs> back and we'll all hate life. Um, but, but uh, I mean, again, this is all very cryptic and we don't have any actual data points here. Um, I know we're hoping for the best. What are you What are you envisioning for Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery? In yeah, Detroit? I mean, when I hear that comment, I, I would I would think that it's probably going to be him getting some of the work inside the five yard line, um, which is what we want. That that would open a path for Gibbs that could lead to you know astronomical outcomes from a fantasy perspective. Going in, I think pretty much the way most people see it is Gibbs is going to handle most of the passing down work, probably get. 35, 40% of the rushing attempts uh, for the Lions. And then with David Montgomery really leading the team on the ground from a carries perspective and, you know, taking some work on passing downs. We don't want to completely write David Montgomery off in that capacity because coaches have, coaches have shown, like, they'll trust him in those situations in the past. Now, he's never been this big plus receiver, but he's a very capable uh, receiver out of the backfield. So I think that's the way we see it going into the game. But if for some reason coming out of week one, and that's getting here really quickly, that's this Thursday night against the Chiefs, Marcus. If we come out of that game and we see 
you know, Jameer Gibbs getting half the carries inside the five yard line. And maybe those, the rushing, you know, the rushing attempts are closer to like, you know, a 45, you know, 45 split, a 45 40 with Gibbs slightly in the lead. That would be like a really big thing. That would mean immediately, like if he's edging out David Montgomery in those other categories um, in week one, he would enter the RB1 conversation the very next week, which is what people are really hoping for. People are taking Jameer Gibbs right now in fantasy drafts in round three in, in PPR formats, uh, half PPR as well. Like this guy's flying off the board. So I, I think he will be the passing down guy, but maybe what this tweet is really saying, right? And this was one from Tim 20 men and he was, you know, quoting what you just said with Ben Johnson that kind of set Twitter on fire. I do think there's a chance that it means that uh, they're going to use the guys more interchangeably down inside the five yard line. And that would be absolutely huge, you know, for Jameer Gibbs. It would, because I think the original belief, you know, when they drafted Gibbs and paired him with, with Montgomery is that this would sort of look like what it did last year with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, where you had Williams scoring a ton of touchdowns because every time they got close, they would just use him to bang it across the goal line. So if you give Gibbs that, that touchdown upside on top of his pass-catching ability, um, you know, I, I think that definitely gives us more reason to be excited. And obviously for the Lions themselves, it gives them more flexibility because, as you mentioned, Montgomery can contribute in the passing game. So now all of a sudden, if you're an opposing defense, you yeah. can't look back there and say, hey, man, that's David Montgomery. They're going to run the ball or that's Jameer Gibbs. They're going to throw the ball. Now, all of a sudden, you do have more or things Gibbs. to think about because these guys can Or Gibbs right now. Yeah. I have him projected for 39% of the rushing attempts and only a 50% route participation because of what you just said. I, I do think there's going to be some David Montgomery, right, on passing downs uh, that he won't be just, you know, completely nothing. But that, that's four, that leads to 14.2 points per game and a PPR. If Gibbs does take over more than what we think, and so say we bump Gibbs to 50% of the rushing attempts and say he gets to 60% of the route participation. And remember, guys, Alvin Kamara in his rookie season didn't even get to 30% of the rushing attempts for the Saints, but he got to that 60% route, route participation threshold because he was so good and so explosive. And, and like in the passing game, he was able to make it up with catching balls. Like He finishes the RB3 that year with only not even getting to 30% of the rushing attempts. But if you bump Gibbs up in the projection model to 50% of the carries and a 60% route participation, he catapults to 17.3 fantasy points per game, right? Now you're talking about an RB1. Uh, we're talking about an RB2 in that, at that 14.2 fantasy points per game range. So, yeah, I think there's a lot at stake here uh, in the way that we think about Jameer Gibbs, you know, coming out of week one, as well as David Montgomery. Like, this could go the other way, right? We could be like, whoa, like Montgomery – really has a bigger role than even what we expected. Um, but the thing with Gibbs is he will still have outs no matter what because he can catch out of the backfield and he's a very explosive playmaker. Yeah, it's also why I have not shied away from drafting David Montgomery. I can't say I've been super heavy on it, but, you know, I haven't I haven't been scared of it either just because I do think, you know, he's, he's going to have a, a solid role uh, in this offense. Uh, the other team. That's going to be in that game on Thursday night. The Kansas City Chiefs, your defending Super Bowl champions. And we've been trying to figure out their wide receiver situation probably for a couple of years. I mean, we know Travis Kelsey is going to eat. That is undeniable. After that, though, it's, it's sort of a mystery. And now Juju Smith-Schuster is gone. I will admit to you, I'm buying into the Sky more hype. There has been plenty of it. But Kadarius Toney is still there. Justin Watson. There's so many guys there. Rasheed Rice. Uh, how do we make sense of what's happening? Well, I think a lot of it goes to your point. We've been trying to figure this out for a couple of years now, uh, or at least, you know, over the last year. We had Tyreek Hill there before, but last season, 
Juju gave us a little bit, right? He, he finished 32nd, you know, uh, in wide receiver ranks, 11.8 points per game. But he was, never, he was never able to, like, truly carve out, like, a large enough role to be a factor to where you're like, man, I have to have Juju in my fantasy lineup. You, you just kind of like, do I put Juju in this week or is he going to bomb? That was kind of more the feeling I had with him. Um, <laughs> and a lot of that came back to route participation. And even last preseason, Patrick Mahomes told us. Remember that? He was like, hey, we're going to rotate these yeah. guys. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a different player every week. And that really held true. And if you look at the route participation last season, none of these guys even got to 80%. Juju was at 71% for the season. That excludes the games, right, that he missed. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was at 76%. Justin Watson was out there at 38%. Sky Moore, 25%. Kadarius Toney, once he came over, in route 22% of the time that Patrick Mahomes dropped back to pass. And then we've really seen something similar this preseason, Marcus. So MVS, 94% route participation. So that was solid, but he can't earn targets, right? So we've we've been through the MVS debate before. We're not going to – he's fine as a best ball punt play late, right? But you don't want him on your redraft, redraft <laughs> team. Sky Moore, the guy that we're hearing you know, from Brett Veach saying he's going to take a big step forward. Well, he was at 61% with Patrick Mahomes on the field. 60% is not enough. Sky Moore needs to be at 80, 85% route participation. Um, you know, maybe you could get by on 75% if he's just an amazing player. But I would argue if he's an amazing player, then why not just get him out there like 90% of the time? Uh, because the Chiefs don't really have a <laughs> right. second wide receiver. Um, Justin Watson this preseason, still getting 44% route participation with the starters Rasheed Rice. 33%, Richie James, 28%, and Justin Ross, 11%. That also matches up with what Brett Veach said. He, he really talked about how the fact that, you know, Rasheed Rice, Justin Ross, they are package players to start the season, but they hope that they produce enough to become every down wide receivers later in the season. You know, so I think this one's going to be evolving, but the big one to watch in week one is if Sky Moore does come out and he's at like an 85% route participation, He's going to be in a position to really pay off big time for people that spent a, a round nine pick on him. He wasn't great as a rookie. He didn't get on the field enough. You would think in a, in a wide receiver room that was really struggling, he would be able to push his way onto the field more. But he was a young guy learning a lot of positions. There are potential reasons. Came from a small school. Um, 20% targets per route run is solid. Not great. But in the Chiefs offense, 20% targets per route run, if you're out there 85% you know, of the routes, that's going to give you a shot at a wide receiver two finish. So I think the big one here is watching Sky Moore. And of course, Kadarius Tony does sound like he's going to be ready. He's going to be out there week one, Marcus. So if any of Tony, uh, Rasheed Rice, Richie James, Justin Ross, if any of those guys surprise us with a large route participation in week one, they're going to get huge bumps as in the ranks, you know, coming up in, in, in week two. So I do think this is a really big one. I don't know that we'll get a big reveal on week one. We're definitely watching for it. At a minimum, we need to see Sky Moore really be like above the 60% we've seen in the preseason because last year it was really bad. Yeah, I mean, they've got guys with talent. It's just a matter of which one or ones of them uh, sort of take the opportunity and really become big target earners. And, and it may take us a few weeks to figure it out. Or it could be like last year where Mahomes just spreads the ball around. Uh, and besides Kelsey, there's nobody we can count on uh, week to week. Uh, last one here. The Ravens, uh, they have perennially been a heavy run team. I know there's talk and belief that things change a little bit this year with Todd Monken and a new group of wide receivers. 
but J.K. Dobbins is still there, and I think he's a guy that, at least personally, I haven't been able to really pinpoint, not because of talent, but just because of utilization here. Is this the year we finally get the big J.K. Dobbins breakout in Baltimore? I think it could be, but it's another one where we have not you know, seen anything in the preseason or been able to like have any sort of a signal from training camp or from the beat reporters that would make us just absolutely think it's going to happen. Um, and again, like there are no absolutes in the preseason anyway. I don't even know why I phrased it that way, but it's not, it's not like we have any evidence. <laughs> now we can hope because of what you mentioned talent. This guy's a really good player. He's going to be another year removed from that injury. He was good last season down the stretch, even though we could clearly tell that he was still dealing with the injury. Like some of those long, you know, runs that we saw from him, you could still see like there's a little bit of a hit in the giddy up for Dobbins. So hopefully he's been able to move beyond that. We also have Todd Munkin coming in, who's going to run the offense, who's repeatedly told us, Marcus, like he's going to get these backs more involved in the passing game. I'm pretty skeptical about that because Lamar Jackson is such a good scrambler. <laughs> um, and I don't know that we have the receiving profile back that can work down the field and, and truly be part of the passing game equation. Maybe, Maybe we see Dobbins set a career high in targets, something like that. That wouldn't surprise me, but that could just be due to health, not because like the Ravens are just trying to implement this heavy focus on the running backs in the passing game. But maybe even if you get a little small bump there, um, the big question is Gus Edwards. Historically, this offense, you've got Lamar getting 25% of the design rushing attempts. Then you would get Dobbins getting 35 to 40%, but he would max out. And then you would have Gus Edwards coming in, getting 25%. And then, oh, by the way, just to be annoying, they always have a third one. And this preseason, we saw Justice Hill getting these starts. <laughs> and so historically, Justice Hill would then get in there and get 5 to 10%. So they would never truly unleash Dobbins. And that has been really their blueprint. But with Todd Munkin, there's a chance that they move away from that. This is going to be a different offensive game plan. Um, and he may think differently about the way he want, wants to work the rotation of back. So this is a big one, because if suddenly you see Dobbins getting 50% of the rushing workload, which is kind of the max in an offense like this, where a quarterback's going to take 25, 20 to 25%. But if they remain, I don't think they'll be as run heavy as they've been in the past, Marcus, but they could still be more of a run balanced team and throw the ball, you know, more than what they have historically. But if he got to 50%, like J.K. Dobbins is probably going to smash like his ADP because he's falling into round five and six of drafts. I got him in a high stake league twice this weekend in round six as my RB2 or my RB3. So I do think this is a really big one. I also will say people just kind of, it's interesting. Dobbins is falling, but it's not like Gus Edwards or someone else is moving up. Like Gus Edwards, you can get super late as well. So there's also a chance that Edwards has more value than what we think. You know, he re he's fallen to like the last round recently or the second to the last round of best ball drafts where he used to be like around 15 pick earlier this summer. If it comes out and he's getting 25%, 30% of the carries, and he's also the true handcuff to JK Dobbins, then that could also have some value. Yeah. And, and that's why not very often, but I have taken some swings at Gus Edwards just because what I'm torn about with the Ravens is that in the past, you look at their their rushing opportunities and their snaps and stuff. It was it was almost split evenly. Like when you look at rushing opportunities, like one third for Dobbins, one third for Edwards, one third for Lamar Jackson. And so that has kind of stuck with me. But then at the same time, I tell myself, well, Greg Roman's not there anymore. There's a new offensive coordinator. Things 
in theory will be different this year. So that's sort of where I, I have sort of been of two minds of it. And I guess, look, if you've taken your shots at Job Dobbins, you're, you're hoping that he gets more of the workload. By the way, you mentioned a career high in targets. His current career high is 24. Not a super high bar. Uh, so the bar is the bar is really low. <laughs> the bar is really low for him to set a new career high in targets this year. So, so we will see how that goes. And uh, we will start to get a look at it beginning on Thursday with the kickoff game between the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs at that point we are off and running in the new season uh we will be with you of course every week looking at utilization but Dwayne we got folks uh we're, we got a chance for folks to come kind of do their own utilization uh, research yeah, very soon absolutely correct? I'm super excited about what we have going over um at fantasylife.com with the new utilization tools um we're hoping next week we should have it set up where you can come in and you'll be able to see by player by team, you'll be able to come in and look, okay, what are the trends that are going on? You'll be able to select how many weeks you want to see. Obviously, for week one, you'll just have week one. But the idea being is that, you know, before, the only way you could get this information was to read the utilization report. And you had to then look at all the tables and everything. And I had so many requests. Hey, is there a way that this can all live in a tool? And now the answer is yes. So you can come in and search for the information that you want. You can do the research that you want to try to really get ahead of your league mates. You're looking for which guys are picking up passing downs, which guys are getting the role inside the five. We'll still be having the utilization write up with all the big takeaways for the week, as well as advice on how to handle that with your waiver wire, guys to target and trades, players that we want to sell high on based on their roles. Maybe they're outperforming their fantasy points. So all of that will be coming to fantasylife.com, a full suite of utilization tools for everyone to use on their own. That is amazing. Just one more tool to add to what is already a great slate of research tools that we have uh, on the Fantasy Life website. So uh, keep an eye out for that because that's only going to help make you better as the season goes along. Speaking of helping you get better, of course, if you haven't already, go to FantasyLife.com. You can sign up for the free newsletter that lands in your inbox each and every morning. Just some of the big takeaways, the big highlights that you need to know going for each day as you put together your roster and put together your lineups every single week. As I mentioned, we'll be here every week uh, this time every week uh, so look forward to that should be another fun season Dwayne looking forward to it we've had a great off season but now we get actual football to talk about which I know for you and for me is a whole lot nicer than speculating on preseason yeah, absolutely stuff. And, and then week four we'll get here and, and we'll realize that the things we thought we knew in week one also were not you know fully correct <laughs> but you know right. in a, oh, yeah, in a no, season of 17 data points right per team you can't wait I know that I, sometimes I will see, man, I don't know about making it. You've got to be ready. Like these early weeks are the biggest, are the biggest yeah. for utilization. And is it risky? Can things still change? Yeah. But we can't, we, whenever we're dealing with such a small sample anyway, you can't wait for three and four weeks of data. Like we're going to have to make big moves early, uh, but we'll be here to talk, to talk through all those. And we'll talk through the risk reward of each one and, and which ones you and I are the most excited about. And maybe then which ones like we think, ah, this signal may not, truly hold over time. So we'll be working through all that. Yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to that as well. So that'll do it for uh, this edition of the Utilization Report Debrief. We're glad that you hang out with us. Uh, for Dwayne, I am Marcus. Enjoy the week, everybody. Get ready for football coming up on Thursday. And we'll talk to you again real soon.